0: Houston, we have a podcast. Welcome to the official podcast of the NASA Johnson Space Center, Episode 171, Orion Today. I'm Pat Ryan. On this podcast, we talk with scientists, engineers, astronauts, and all kinds of experts about their part in America's space exploration program. And today, we're checking in on the development of the vehicle that will take men and women farther away from Earth than they have ever gone. It's called Orion. And as the program puts it on its website, for the first time in a generation, NASA is building a human spacecraft for deep space missions that will usher in a new era of space exploration. That includes going back to the moon in just a few years. Yep, this is the spaceship to make that trip. And we've talked about various aspects of Orion and its systems here on the podcast over the past three years. Today, we get an update. Orion Deputy Program Manager Howard Hugh has bachelor's and master's degrees in aeronautical and astronautical engineering. He worked in the Space Shuttle and International Space Station programs before joining Orion in 2007. And since then, he has worked on the vehicle's avionics and power and software systems, on guidance, navigation, and control. He really knows this thing inside and out. And I got to spend an hour asking all the so-called stupid questions so you don't have to. Time to find out the latest about Orion. Here we go. Minus five, second, ten, Mark. I learned a long time ago in high school that... Uh, All good arguments begin by defining your terms. So you've been involved in Orion for years. Howard, Hugh, what is Orion?
1: Well, uh, Orion is our next generation exploration uh, spaceship or spacecraft. Um, It is is an exciting uh, time for us at NASA, certainly. Uh, We're looking for lunar exploration and beyond. And uh, Orion will take us there. And Orion is comprised of really three elements, three major elements. So the crew, I'll start in the middle, which is the heart where the crew sits, uh, is the crew module. Yeah. And four crew members will be able to sit in that crew module. And underneath, uh, behind it is the service module. And it provides the major propulsion systems, the major power generation capabilities, and it also stores the water and oxygen that the crew needs for the exploration missions. And of course, very unique, you'll see a see a launch abort system which we put on top of the crew module and the service module, and that allows the crew to have abort capability when we launch from the pad uh, as we go into space. So if anything happens with the rocket, that is launched as a space launch system, SLS, launches us, there's issues with the rocket or we have some issues and the crew needs to get off the spacecraft or the launch vehicle, then the launch abort system or the LAS will be able to pull um, the crew module away and land the crew safely. So three major elements comprise of uh, Orion. Uh, only one really goes outer space. Or, I mean, only two goes out of outer space. And, right. and the, uh, of course, the launch abort system uh, drops off when we head into deep space. And, and deep spa- by deep space, we mean beyond Earth orbit? Does that mean just to the moon or even further than that? Um, so there's a term called uh, low Earth orbit or LEO. So that's where most of the current uh, commercial space and, of course, International Space Station is at. Now, when we talk about uh, beyond LEO, you know, that's going to the moon. And then, of course, uh, as we learn um, our capabilities and we explore the lunar surface and we utilize uh the lunar environment as a, a launching pad then certainly orion will be a spacecraft that we would use to go on to mars now it will not be the only element of certainly okay. mars exploration you're going to need more uh modules and capability uh because it's a long much longer duration right yes uh seven days or so five to seven days of travel to to the moon and you know two years maybe return trip depending on your orbit to mars but so the durations are significantly different. So, but Orion will be a big part of that um, piece as well as we go to Mars, and certainly the first stepping stone uh, for any deep space exploration. I think is is our plan to go to the moon um, and uh, learn from there before we jump to the a bigger step.
0: Yeah, I think you raise a good point, and let me get you to expand on it a bit. There are. We have spacecraft that are flying in low-Earth orbit right now. That's not what Orion is designed for. Can you compare it to the current vehicles, and and how does it differ, and what kind of capabilities does it have?
1: Yeah. So, Pat, you know, when you go uh, deeper into space, the time frame is a little different. You know, you you may be able to return quickly from uh, low-Earth orbit or LEO. And so your, your ability to uh, respond to failures uh, or issues on the spacecraft is going to be significantly different. So for exploration class uh, type of uh, spacecraft like Orion, you know, we protect for redundancy. But more than just redundancy, we protect for um, what, what, what we consider maybe off-nominal or lessons learned we have done in the past. For example, manual switches you know manual switches You mean like throwing the actual manual up and down switches okay. right certainly we yeah. are very much in a computer age right. and great software computers but the reliability certainly very high and we would you know test and make ensure that the systems are good but but we have learned in the past that sometimes the manual switches, manual capabilities are another additional step a different type of redundancy that you may need for critical systems, like separating from the spacecraft. So when we come home, we need to separate the crew module from the service module. Right. And the, s- the crew module returns the crew back and lands safely on Earth. And so that step, you know, we want to have a ability to, to, to obviously separate. Same with uh, releasing the parachutes. So you want to have a, a different paths to allow you to have that redundancy. Um, more, than than more, than to, just, yeah, more than one way to do something. Yeah, more than one way to do something. And that's one thing we've learned. Um, the other things that you learn about uh, when you go to deep space is you, certainly radiation is a big uh, effect on the spacecraft. So you want to be radiation tolerant. So we're very dependent on electronics. And so you have to have a very robust test program for that. Uh, as well. And then, of course, you know, the harsh environment as you go out in deep space, you do not have anybody else to count on but yourselves in the spacecraft. Yeah. You want to ensure all your systems are tested um, very well, number one, and to a level that is beyond what you think will operate in or what we think the environment will be in. And so that, that's very important from a spacecraft uh, perspective. And then the last thing is, is, is the ability for the crew to interact with the system. So a lot of times you can certainly, for a shorter mission, like a LEO or low-Earth orbit mission, you, you know, you can sit back and, and the automated system will do everything and it'll be fine. Um, as I said, as you get further out from Earth and away from Earth, the crew sitting in the capsule needs to have more ability to interact with the system. If the system doesn't do or behave a certain way or something happens where the crew needs to intercede much quicker. Uh, so those kinds of manual control capabilities and manual ability to intervene are very important, and that's designed in the system as well. And
0: pilot astronauts want to fly their ship. They don't want to be taken for a ride. Yeah,
1: and, and and certainly, you know, they will be taken for a ride. A lot of the systems are going to be great on board, you know, in terms of uh, letting the crew, you know, do other things. Um, um, but when something happens or when you see something happen, you want to make sure the crew member and their brains are getting to interact and understand the situation, along with the ground. But certainly they are the first line of defense. Their lives are on the line. And you want to give them the tools for them to really understand what is happening and be able to respond quickly. Um, you've raised a number of, of points I want
0: to circle back to. But in your describing the ship, um, I mean, I've seen enough pictures of it to know that, to me, it looks a lot like an Apollo spaceship. Um, the first American crewed vehicle that went to the moon was that an inspiration in, in the in the general design of this, as opposed to any particulars of systems. But the the Apollo capsule that worked so well is that uh, is it was that something that you've the, the designers of Orion drew upon?
1: Yeah, Pat, great question. You know, uh, our predecessors were very smart. Uh, certainly, uh, as we, you know, 51 years ago we're, we we land on the moon, so. Um, they had um, great engineering, great designs, and, and you, know, you want to leverage off of what their knowledge and what they, their experience was, and, and a capsule is very efficient to return through a very uh, harsh environment of reentry on the, into uh, our Earth's atmosphere. So when they designed that capsule and they did a lot of work, they really understood the aerodynamics and the aerothermal behind uh, something like that kind of blunt body shape and certainly that was not just an inspiration but we had a lot of uh, uh understanding and engineering data and information from that time period obviously and when we started looking at um at nasa when we started looking at kind of the types of bodies that would be uh, good to to have those lunar reentry speeds or even uh return from mars what kind of speeds we would see when we re-enter the atmosphere uh, a blunt body shape was a very good uh, design uh, from that standpoint the so blunt, efficiency
0: the bluntness here
1: referring to the back end the one that is yeah. leading through the atmosphere like a pear shape yeah the bottom yeah. of it the heat mm-hmm. shield uh, is the blunt part of the body and, and that that the the ability for the spacecraft to be very efficient to rate uh, to dissipate the heat when you re-enter, uh, is is a really important thing. And if you remember, the shuttle had a little bit of wings, right. uh, certainly not a lot, and we had to deal with a lot of tiles and things like that. And that was a, earth, a low Earth return type of speed, so it's certainly less than what you're seeing. You're saying that Orion's return will be at a higher rate of speed than yeah, the space shuttle was. Yes, yes, definitely. And so that, that that's the difference. Uh, number one, and certainly th- when you say inspiration, I mean we learned a lot from from our predecessors, and we're taking that adva- advantage of that knowledge and applying it uh, for future space exploration. Exploration.
0: How long has it been since Orion was
1: the the idea came to build this vehicle? Um, boy, it started you know in the uh, you know two thousand four two thousand five time frame. Yeah. Uh, when, when uh, you know, uh, President Bush announced uh, the vision for space exploration right, and right. Uh, the genesis of, hey, we want to return and build spacecraft uh, that would go beyond low Earth orbit. And so that started formulating. Um, but in our current program, um, in the Artemis program, you know, we, we've been working on it for several years. And certainly, the, the changing dynamics of kind of the direction where we're going has evolved a little bit. You know, we were going to an asteroid at one time, um, but now you know we're very focused on the Artemis missions of uh, returning the first uh, woman and the next man back on the mm-hmm. lunar surface. So very important national goals uh, that has been um, that have been called, called together over the last few years.
0: So Orion has been part of the agency's effort even as the, the specific direction of that effort has changed over the course of more than 10 years now?
1: Yeah, I think that's the, the flexibility of the of the spacecraft, right? The mission, the end, ultimate uh, end goal, the mission may change or evolve, uh, but certainly the, the requirement to carry the crew to those destinations, whether it be the lunar orbit, whether it be an asteroid or something different, uh, you know, is the same relative to... Making sure that the crew is has an environment that they can uh, safely live in, that they can we can return them uh, back to Earth safely, and that they can um, be transported from obviously liftoff all the way to their destination. So,
0: you've been part of the program for a long time too, haven't you? Tell me about about your your work in the Orion program.
1: Yeah, I've been I've been very fortunate, you know, uh, to be uh, with the program since the very beginning. Um, you know, I've had opportunity to work a lot of different things. You know, I started as the guidance navigation control, um, lead for the, for the program. So the flying of the vehicle, the navigating of the vehicle. Yeah. Uh, so very important things, uh, that, that certainly, um, I was, I was, uh, very fortunate to be part of, and then I've had the opportunities to move up in leadership in the program, you know, both managing the overall vehicle integration and helping lead that. Uh, and then prior to becoming the acting program manager and the deputy program manager, you know, I was responsible for all the avionics power and software on the vehicle. So, so I've been able to touch lots of big areas on the spacecraft, uh, had fortunate to, to see a lot of different things and, and be part of a lot of the successes we've had so far. So really happy to be here and, and (laughs) contribute. When you
0: came, I understand you worked in other programs here, even before Orion. So you're, you're background in human spaceflight goes back even further, right?
1: Yeah, I, I may not, uh, uh, maybe I shouldn't tell how old I am, but certainly I've had a lot of years <laughs> at NASA. Uh, I, I was very fortunate, uh, like I said, you know, not to be in, only in Orion, but I started my career in International Space Station at the very beginning, uh, saw the first, uh, worked through the first few uh, elements of the International Space Station, and then I was able to work on uh, the upgrades to the space shuttle. And so I was able to touch on, on our two major uh, human spaceflight program, saw a lot of, not only the beginning of International Space Station, but an operational vehicle and trying to um, uh, upgrade an operational vehicle like the space shuttle. And then, of course, then I came on to Orion and uh, deep space exploration.
0: Let's let's talk about Orion in, in some more of the details and the different things. Um, when you get to talk to people about Orion, what are... What do you find to be the highlights that people get very excited about when you describe uh, these aspects of the vehicle?
1: Yeah, you, you know, I, I think I think uh, uh, a broad spectrum of things when we talk about excitement. First, you know, when I think about Orion or talk to people Orion, you know, we're, we're building a uh, a long-term space exploration vehicle. You know, a vehicle that that is can evolve, number one, but also support the missions in the long term, not just a one mission or two mission type of vehicle, but we're really looking at the long term for, for NASA and space exploration. So that's really exciting. So not only are we trying to fly as soon as we can, but we're also looking the long term of what we can do uh, as a spacecraft capabilities, but also to try to uh, manage our costs so that it's affordable long-term and that we can do a lot of different things for exploration. So that that at a global level is very exciting. Yeah. Um, I think the second thing is just it, the technologies that we're embedding uh, into the spacecraft relative to how, how the crew engages. You know, we are really advancing uh, the next generation of um, crew interaction with the systems, not through displays, through controls, how we do automation. How does the human interact with the automated system? What are the things like I talked to you about earlier relative to you know, crew interaction, crew um, manual control, uh, crew engagement in certain problems, how we do those things, where today we can rely a lot on automated systems, yeah. software. We live in a software sure. you know, computer gener- uh, age, right? So, but, but to blend that human piece in is really a, 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 a new thing a new thing relative to what we've done in the past. And I think that's really exciting uh, going forward. And then of course, we're doing a few things differently relative to um, battery technology, uh, navigation technology. Um, so those are really exciting things. I talked to people about where we're advancing that state of the art with you know, the commercial providers as well, because that's what we're gonna need in the future. Because communication is very important when you're further out and even further out to Mars, right? So yeah. one of the things, we're, you know, we're, we're doing is is looking at those communications technologies. And, of course, you know, docking with a vehicle, rendezvousing with other spacecraft is going to be very important in space. And so we're advancing those kinds of navigation sensors, what we call relative navigation sensors. So everybody's heard about GPS. We use right. it every day, right? Yeah. So, But you don't have GPS when you leave the Earth. You don't have that kind of constellation satellites. That globe, how do you navigate? That
0: globe's no longer important.
1: Right, so you can't use your iPhone and go, hey, no. I want to go from here to here. So you've you got to have other ways to navigate. So we're looking at that. But also, you have to navigate together with two spacecraft, and that's called relative navigation. And that technology, we're advancing. In fact, I was uh, uh, I, I get an opportunity to lead an activity. When we're doing the shuttle, we, we went out and did a... a, a what do you call it, a flight test okay. with a, a technology called LiDAR. LiDAR. Uh, it, yeah, laser. It's a laser-based system, uh, laser-based system basically uh, using for relative navigation. And uh, it was called Storm. And uh, so we, we, did a, we did that work. We mounted a LiDAR system on the space shuttle on Payload Bay, and we did a test with the space station to determine kind of what the capabilities are for LiDAR technology at that time. And it was one of the last, second to last mission uh, of the space shuttle. So very exciting that we're able to do that. Now we're going to apply that technology uh, into our spacecraft um, as our uh, relative navigation sensor. Um, So we'll we'll be doing that. So we're advancing not only just things that we started doing, what others have started doing, but expanding upon it, the ranges and and the environment that we're going to see for these kinds of sensors are going to be really important.
0: Let me ask you. You talk about relative navigation of these vehicles because GPS is no longer relevant to you. But what is? What, are you, what are, do you use as a reference point in a relative navigation system like that for Orion or the other vehicle to know where they are?
1: Yeah, I, you know, two types, of, two types of things that you use. Uh, traditionally, you have a um, uh, S-band or RF radio frequency technology for very very far distances and then when you get closer in you know um, about um, two kilometers you know something like that um, during a docking during a docking vehicles. maneuver uh, mm-hmm. uh, then it, that's when the LiDAR takes over and so the ranges for where the LiDAR is very effective we're expanding that range and, and that distance and so we're counting on LiDAR technology you know, to, to give get us the rest of the way in as we get closer to the to the other spacecraft. So the, that's one of the key pieces of technology. For the two
0: vehicles to then as to bounce the signal off. I don't know if they bounce. It did. Yep. That they bounce off one another in order to gauge their distance and the rate at
1: which they're they're getting closer. You're 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 you're. you're you got it. Okay. You got it. Yeah. So It's so always, there's, it's always uh, good to have something to fall back on. <laughs> yeah. So you have a laser, and it goes to a reflector, and it gives you a return. Uh-huh. And uh, so different types of, you know, uh, I won't get into it here, but, but certainly that technology has been there. A lot of uses commercially. Um, well, some people have, have thought about using LIDARs for you know autonomous driving, things like that. I think they're using it today in the, in the vehicles. So lots of different types of commercial applications for us on Earth. And it's certainly very important for us when we do rendezvous proxops, and docking uh, on orbit uh, with another spacecraft and, and using that type of technology to tell us not only how close the vehicle is, but, you know, relative uh, attitude. Where is it relative to myself in in this spacecraft, and Orion? Is it
0: right to say that all of that is part of the docking system, the, the, the larger uh, system or systems that are required for two vehicles to to link up in space yeah Yeah.
1: um relative navigation is very important is one system that's really important uh so it's part of that system that you talked about so obviously docking mechanism is part of it and then you also have to be able to fly the vehicle which normally you can already control whether it's a stick or the software does the flying basically pulsing the jets okay you can think of that that way um all those pieces together have to work in combination to make that quote unquote system be able to perform the overall capability, which is, you know, connect with another spacecraft. And Orion still has those aspects of it where uh,
0: a, a commander of the vehicle is able to manually fly it and it has me- mechanical interfaces for, for it to link up to some other vehicle.
1: Yes, yes. Yeah. So that's why I said earlier, you know, this we are designing both an automated approach and a, and the crew can, can have the ability to do a manual right so so sometimes the human brain and the human human ability to respond to scenarios are much better and and than the computer or the software we built and so we provide two paths normally you can go uh, uh automated rendezvous and docking uh and then the crew can certainly take over at any point and and either continue the mission or stop stop it and wait and see what happens uh, relative to uh, maybe issues they come up with, or they just need to wait and pause uh, to make sure they got it right. So mm-hmm. there's a lot of different kinds of options. And I said earlier, you know, that's this is why we're building this capability because you're far away uh, from returning home or you're far away from potentially from ground support if you don't have the communication capability. And so you want to make sure the crew has the – has the most options to be successful in the mission.
0: Tell me about the the space for the human crew members. Uh, You said earlier that this would accommodate four people, right? That's correct. Um, How much space is there for them? Um, What what, what accommodations do you have for the the human part of this machine?
1: Yeah, it's, it's, you know, I'll be honest with you. It's it's certainly tight, you know, relative to what we would normally expect, know you know, um, you know th- they uh, boy how would I describe that um, we we have a capsule um, 17 18 feet wide something right, like that right. um, and so you could think about if you try to fit uh, four people into uh, into that arena um, are they all side by side n- well when you're in space, you're floating around, so you're maneuvering within a, if you think of cylindrical shape of a, with a blunt body on the bottom. Right. Um, so they'll have opportunity. But when they're launching, the seats are two and two. So if you imagine uh, two above people them. above you and okay. two people below you, so certainly launch and, and re-entry um, sit, uh, configuration, they would be sitting. But on orbit, um, they, they would be able to go wherever they need to go. Um, Boy, I, I would say that maybe, you know, in general, you probably have two or three feet, you know, as a cone, if you want to call it, mm-hmm. uh, around you as, as you maneuver around. Now, certainly um, certain areas have a little bit more limitation. Other areas have a little bit more maneuvering room, you know. Um, how do they sleep? How do they eat? What, what sort of
0: uh, systems do we have for just, you know, for being a human being? Okay.
1: They can sleep anywhere, (laughs) so you know they stay. You know, there's no orientation. If you ever see what the uh, crew does in in space station, they can sleep anywhere. So they have they have sleeping bags and accommodations to sleep. Um, You know, they'll they'll have the normal things like they'll have a toilet. I think everybody asks. So we have a advanced toilet we're building. In fact, we're we're testing that on space station. So uh, there's going to be a lot of uh, uh, tests and, and understanding of the capabilities of that. Um, from a food perspective, you know, they have a wide range of food that they normally would have on Space Station. Um, and, and, and they'll be able to warm it, have warm food, um, and they'll have, you know, the, the regular things. Now, it won't be uh, as luxurious, luxurious as, as some of us would, you know, not a five star hotel. No, certainly. Well. So going go space is challenging, but they'll have all the, the regular accommodations, uh, relative to, to food and water. In the case of a, of a trip to the moon, you're not talking
0: about an extremely long trip. It's a matter of a few days, right? Right. So right. it's, it's not that hard to, if you're going to get to go to space for a few days, you can rough it, uh, so to speak.
1: Yeah, yeah, and we, and we try to balance that, You know, there's a, a a balance, right? Certainly, we have the technology, and we build in some capabilities allow the crew to 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 have some obviously meals and and such, and and ability to to have some creature comforts as, as we go forward. Because we've learned a lot from space station, mm-hmm. right? Our our when we started with food and shuttle and space station is different. What we've um, than what we have now. Yeah, we've increased, and so I think it's a it's a really. You know, again, leveraging things that we've learned and applying those things that make sense. Like you said, it's a shorter mission. Uh, certainly, going to Mars will be much longer, and, and we'll have different kinds of accommodations. Uh, but certainly, Orion does provide what's needed in the short term for these types of missions right now. You mentioned that people always ask about the toilet, and they do.
0: Um, what what is advanced about the toilet that you're working on for this that people would want to know about?
1: Um, boy, the, I. I haven't experienced myself because I haven't used the toilets. <laughs> I couldn't, t- but what I've heard or what's been told to me by the astronauts is that it's more accommodating of females. Oh, okay. Um, the design, and 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 that's all I get into it, and and that's about as much I know. Um, but but that's that's one of the advances uh, that I mean, in terms of learning from our previous designs, how we can accommodate the the broader variety of people, and certainly we're gonna have a. Variety of uh, individuals who are going to go to the moon, right? Sure. So, so giving them that that ability, I think, is really one of the big things that that uh, uh, helps in terms of, of of their their quality of of the mission. Let's say, yeah. Um, and so, I think that's one of the big things. It's an important
0: part of the middle part of the mission. You've also touched on. Uh, aspects of the beginning of the mission in terms of the launch, which is on the Space Launch System, but Orion comes with the Launch Abort System that, mm-hmm. that you made reference to. This is another rocket, really, isn't
1: it? it, it the, the, the Launch Abort System, yeah, you can consider a rocket because it's got solid motors. It's actually got three sets of motors on the on the Launch Abort System, and with the crew module attached, it does look like a mini rocket. And it, it, it does behave because we have to pull the crew from uh, whatever's happening in the situation underneath them, and we have to pull them out quickly. And so, you know, initially the abort thrust is about 400,000 pounds of thrust that we pull wow. the crew in, in about one and a half seconds. And so wow. we, we pull them away pretty quickly, and we want to ensure that, that obviously whatever's happening, they're able to get away from that. And so you can you can imagine whatever, uh, whatever scenarios there may be, whatever situation you're in, it's kind of like an ejection seat, right? You want to get away from the situation that was back there fully away so that there's nothing that can affect... um, That's a
0: big controlled explosion that's going on behind them that they need to get away from.
1: Yeah, or the rocket's just accelerating, and, and you don't want to be right in its path, right? So a lot of different things that could happen, and you want to ensure that you could get away quickly. At
0: the end of the mission there also is is an, a pretty elaborate parachute system in order to bring it back you talked about the need for uh, the orion to make its way through the atmosphere but once it does that it's got to slow it's got to continue to slow down as it heads to land in the water i always thought land in the water was kind of a weird phrase but um t- tell me about the 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 rest of this system to to bring the mission to an end the parachutes
1: yeah, we have three uh, major parachutes that deploy. In fact, we have um, parachutes that actually slow down the spacecraft first a little bit, and then it pulls out the main chutes um, uh, coming out behind it called drogue, drogue chutes that pull the main chutes out. And so the, the system is three big parachutes. And, and, and of course, like you said, we're, we're trying to touch down softly, and we're trying to touch down in a, in a, in a very uh, controlled area. Uh, really right now off of San Diego, because then the U.S. Navy can go recover the crew and the ship. You can imagine we would not want the crew sitting in the ship for very long. Uh, our spacecraft, you your bobbing in Riding the water. The and and, yeah. and they, of course, have felt some effects of being in space. So we certainly want to extract them as soon as possible. So accurate landing is very important. Um, and the ability to ac- land accurately, you can place um, recovery forces near the, that so you can recover them faster. Now, certainly, we have ability to have contingency. If something happened, they need to come down uh, somewhere else. That is also possible as well. So, lots of different kinds of things that, that we've protected for for the landing itself. And of course, like I told you earlier, on the chute deploy, you know, w- we are we have um, like the manual switch for deploying the chutes. Right? That's very important. The crew can fire that switch if if the automated system doesn't do it. Doesn't now, work. Right? Normally, the automated system will be fine. I'll do it. The crew will monitor it. If it, for if whatever reason, it doesn't trigger, then the crew has a way, and and they can deploy the chutes, and they'll be able to land safely. Mm-hmm. You, uh, the program has had a number
0: of. Uh, I mean, there are as you develop these systems, you're doing all kinds of testing to make sure that it's working before you get too far. You make mm-hmm. sure as incrementally as you work along. Uh, tell me about some of the, the real big. Uh, testing milestones that you've been through on these various systems uh, to, to know that we're working in the right direction and then things are, are working as they're supposed to.
1: Yeah. Wow. We just finished up two major tests this year. Um, we just recently finished up what we call a structural test article. So we subject a, a, a identical vehicle structurally to Orion, uh, both the launch abort system, the crew module, and the service launch, so the whole stack. And we test a lot of combinations or, or configurations of that structural test article depending on the flight configuration, right? So you'll have the stack together. You'll have this crew module by itself. You have a crew module service module together. So that, st- that test tests out the ability for the structure to withstand a very heavy vibration environment, very heavy shock environment. So that's what the test I talked about is we well, want to like test it. Like it would
0: undergo at launch?
1: Undergo at launch, but yeah. above that, so oh, okay. levels above that. Because see, you always oh, test levels above it, such that you protect for if you um, aren't, you didn't model something correctly, so that you you make sure you, you have a test program that really rings out your system, the actual system that you're going to fly, yeah. right? So that's the whole idea of the structural test article. And then for Artemis One spacecraft, we took that spacecraft to Plumbrook Station out in uh, Sandusky, Ohio. There's a big facility there that does uh, testing, thermal vacuum testing and uh, uh, some, some EMI-EMC testing. That's at the Glenn Research Glenn Center. Glenn Research Center, right, outside of the Glenn Research Center. Um, so we went there, and we finished that up in March. That was what we considered the environmental test. So we took the ent- entire spacecraft— not the launch abort system, but just the crew module service module, and we put it in a thermal vacuum chamber, and we tested the environment that we would see uh, in space, um, and we subjected to that kind of level environment, and of course above uh, above that that we would yeah. uh, see, and it passed with flying colors. The spacecraft, the spacecraft that we're going to fly, not you know, a so
0: not a test article, not a test
1: but- article like the structural test article yeah. I described earlier, but the actual spacecraft, Artemis one spacecraft, and so that was a huge success for us. Uh, it was a four, it's almost a four month test, wow. and and uh, it was it was uh, nonstop every day, twenty four seven, we were running it, um, and of course we're subjecting it like we would do in flight. Uh, so 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 again, just looking at the flight regime, not only the levels, but the but the continuous types of testing. And this and is,
0: is for, just for
1: vacuum or, or other uh, other aspects of the environment? That was just for the, the vacuum okay. and the temperature, Oh, okay. right? Yeah. The temperature variation, of course, in vacuum, and then you have the hot and cold cycles that the spacecraft would go in because, gotcha. because depending on where the sun is relative to where you are, right? There's also that dynamic range of, of temperature that, that uh, you see in space that, that everybody, I think, knows about. So we're testing that as well. So that was a very important test for us to show that our spacecraft could operate and when i say operate that means we were operating uh controlling the temperature inside the cabin you know it was like a 65 degrees inside where where we were minus 200 outside you know so showing that that the vehicle uh, is operating no- nominally, the software was running all the computers were up uh, the thermal control system was working, Bam. so so demonstrating basically a mission on the ground uh, to the environment that you would see, mm-hmm. and and that's a uh, that was a very good testament to the quality of the vehicle and our ability to uh, be ready to fly, and so that was a really good test cool
0: what what yeah. other sorts of, of tests you've been you, you've done tests with the launch abort system and with the
1: parachutes and and tell me about right. what some of those other ones are and of course so this is this year and then last year we had a really big uh, important test was this aa2 and we had a that uh, aa was ascent abort right okay. abort 2 and that test uh, demonstrated our uh, launch abort system um capabilities remember i told you about the last right, right? that's a very important element for uh, crew survival and of course, a very dynamic environment. I told you 400,000 pounds, one and a half seconds uh, of, of uh, immediate getting off the, off the uh, stack or the rocket. So we had a very successful test uh, in Florida, um, July, uh, I think, 2nd, if I remember correctly. And very good for the program to demonstrate that our launch abort systems operated exactly as we predicted and was able to um, successfully um, pull the crew module off and reorient and and bring the crew module uh, back. So that was a really important uh, demonstration of our launch abort system in a full-scale test. Mm -hmm. So are
0: good examples. We don't need to talk about every single test (laughs) that Mm -hmm. you've ever done. But a a good example of of testing that's underway as you continue to move down the path. I mean, NASA is talking about putting boots back on the moon by 2024 it's going to take a couple of flights to get to there right so you're let's let's look forward from where we are right now and what mm-hmm. what are the next big steps for Orion as you get ready as you move toward that goal uh, you've made reference to Artemis one um, that's not the one that lands though right
1: right well well um or, just, or just that puts clear, or you, that puts people yeah, down. Puts on I'm a sorry. Trajectory. Yeah, so Orion, Orion doesn't, doesn't land. land. Yes, Pat. Yep, yep. Good, you caught that. Um, so Orion, you know, we're a transport vehicle, and we we take it to the destination, and of course, a lander will land um, people on the moon. But 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 the exciting things are happening. We're wrapping up the RMS One vehicle. And when I say wrapping up, we're doing final assembly, and there's a couple steps that you do at the very end, which is you put solar rays on, and you pressurize your system, your helium system that that, uh, that uh, provides pressure to the tanks, um, the, the prop, and the, and the uh, um, oxidizers. So, so very important steps, and that's what we call wrapping up the vehicle. So we should get that done, and then we will then transport or transfer the Orion vehicles, the crew module, the service module, and the, the launch board system. We hand that over to our ground team which is the Exploration Ground Systems uh, program, and they're actually going to stack us on top of the Space Launch System. And so that will happen next year, and then, then we'll be ready to launch. So all the heavy lifting or heavy work on, our, on the Ryan program side will be done. Uh, we'll, we'll have that vehicle buttoned up and ready to go. Our tests that we talked about demonstrated that we're ready for flight. Yeah. We've got a few things to wrap up on the vehicle side itself, uh, and then we'll accept the vehicle, um, and then we'll hand it over to our partners in the other program, and then they'll do the stacking for us.
0: Before we get too far, any farther down that mm-hmm. road, I don't want to forget the other partners that are involved. NASA's building this vehicle in conjunction with, uh, with, with the European Space Agency and with other companies, right?
1: Yeah, I forgot to mention that at the very beginning, you know, the, the service module, a big part of the service module is being by built by the European uh, Space Agency with their partners, uh, Airbus. And, um, they are the ones that are responsible for providing that element to us and very important part. So the power, the propulsion systems, uh, the tanks that store the oxygen and the water for us, um, very, very important part of the spacecraft and and a great partnership that we've had with the Europeans. And then now we're going to fly together, uh, as one single spacecraft. So they've done their part. The Europeans have delivered the the Artemis One uh, service module. Okay. Their contribution. We put it together, and I, I said earlier we did the testing as the as the crew module service on. So everything's working very well, um, and then the final steps are being done. So very important partnership that I forgot to mention earlier, and I'm glad, glad you brought it up.
0: And they they based. Uh, their design on flown vehicle on their on their cargo ship that they flew to the International Space Station.
1: Right, um, the ATV, or I yeah. think it's called an autom- automated transfer vehicle. So they they um, when they joined us um, back in 2013, um, you know that was when you talk about uh, inspiration or, or you know leveraging their past. You know they started with that uh, design and that experience base. And that's where that's where the our current European service module element uh, evolved. And that allowed us to to uh, leverage their experience and knowledge of, of the ATV design and flight experience and and, and, um, and apply it to Orion. And
0: the our, the Orion vehicle itself is being built in partnership with, with private companies.
1: Yes. The, the, certainly, you know, NASA is a leader in terms of building Orion exploration spacecraft, but we count on our prime contractor, Lockheed Martin, who is responsible for integrating all those pieces I talked about, the service module, the crew module, the launch abort system, putting it all together and getting it ready for us uh, to, to make sure as an integrated spacecraft it's working. And they of course, they're, they're the ones also for... Uh, Doing the, the design of the crew module and the launch abort system. I told you earlier the service module is a European. So right. they're po- responsible for those pieces and they're responsible for integrating this whole spacecraft. So they're a very important partner for us and, and a, they're our prime contractor and uh, certainly um, done a great job of pulling the Artemis 1 vehicle together.
0: So you mentioned a minute ago that Artemis 1 vehicle, you're getting ready to deliver it to. Uh, to Florida for mm-hmm. the people to put it in a stack to get ready to fly that first mission. What other things should people be looking for? What other kind of of tests or development activities does Orion still have in front of it before we get to actually fly the vehicle?
1: Yeah, for 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 Artemis One, our major test program is done. Okay. Like I said, um, now we we will be um, uh, doing things on the stack itself. You know, with with the rest of the 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 space. Ship. Well, I'll say it differently. With the launch vehicle, let's okay. say, and we'll be doing uh, some some uh, preparation for launch. We'll do some checkout systems where we power on the system. So so very nominal kinds of things to get to launch, but nothing uh, significant like we've done in the past with the structural test article or with the environmental testing at Plumbrook Station. Nothing at that magnitude for us, for Orion. Now, we certainly have tests ahead of us uh, for other things, but but not for Artemis One.
0: You And I, I'm assuming that you're at some point you're going to have to have everybody... Uh, do an awful lot of practice with the launch vehicle, uh, do simulations and that that sort of thing because it's something that you haven't flown before.
1: Yes, this is this is true for uh, you know previous uh, human spaceflight uh, sure. programs, and they'll be true for Orion. And you know is, it
0: makes all the sense in the world. Yeah, <laughs>
1: yeah. We'll have uh, simulations, uh, and in fact, we have a <clears throat> we've already done testing with the ground software. It, if if for those who don't aren't familiar, you know, ground team will take over, they, they will stack the vehicle, but not only will they stack the vehicle, they have ground software that actually interacts with our spacecraft software. Okay. So that interaction we've tested also as well with the ground team, but we'll also participate as they power up on the, on the spacecraft. So they'll have ground um, systems that actually interact with our spacecraft systems and they'll get data and they'll get uh, command and control capability on some of the systems. And so we'll be involved in that going forward, pr- preparing for that not just simulations, but actual processing, and getting the, the vehicle basically powered on. Um, so we'll be a big part of that. And, of course, during launch day, we'll all be there and we'll be supporting from from our various yeah. uh, uh, facilities to make sure that everything, all the systems look right and the spacecraft is ready to go. And, and we give the launch team the go. And then, of course, the launch team hands over to our flight operations team here at Johnson Space Center. And they, t- they take over uh, once... Uh, once the uh, vehicle lifts off.
0: We've referred to Artemis 1 flying target to launch in 2021. Give me the thumbnail sketch of what happens in Artemis 1 and then Artemis 2 and Artemis 3.
1: Um, yeah, so, so Artemis 1 is, is our, our first mission to, to lunar orbit. Uh, It'll be a very exciting mission, you know, it'll vary 26 to 40 days depending on when we launch and exactly, you know, the the type of missions that we're going to, that type of mission we're going to decide to fly. So so that's going to be a very long mission, so it'll really check out the systems that we've got. Uh, Great for us to understand the environment and what our systems do in that environment. So that's Artemis 1. And then right now we're working Artemis 2. So, it's not we're waiting for Artemis 1 to complete and then work on Artemis, You don't have time. No time. So, we're doing development. So, as we're buttoning up Artemis 1, we've already made significant progress on Artemis 2. In fact, at KSC, is where we put uh, the Orion spacecraft uh, together, um, we have both finishing Artemis 1 and another bay, we have Artemis 2, where we're outfitting all the systems okay. and, and testing it. So, things are going in parallel. And, in fact, uh, next year, not only will we be getting ready for launch Artemis 1, we'll be trying to wrap up. The ESM is going to show up. The, the, the European service module for Artemis 2 will show up. We'll be putting that together with a crew module. We'll also start some work, also Artemis 3. Uh-huh. So all these things will be going in parallel, um, different uh, different stages of development and assembly, but all in parallel and really exciting time because that's what it takes that's what it takes for us to, to make sure we're going to meet the schedules that we need to do to get boots on the moon and making sure that, that, that uh, we're doing things uh, in, a, in a flow, and it's a flow, um, Pat. And, mm-hmm. and that flow has been established, and, and we just walk that flow, uh, and it's exciting time for us. I know it's not your job to do it, but, but when, are, when are they going to
0: assign astronauts who are going to fly in Orion?
1: Yeah, I th- I don't know the exact time frame. You know, usually I think the templates maybe two years, uh, something like that. Two I years think before, before the launch. launch uh-huh. Yeah. Um, so I don't. I can't tell you. Don't quote me on that, Pat. Uh, <laughs> but I think it's somewhere around that time frame where they assign the crews. Um, but but it could be a little bit. The time frame may have changed depending on, you know, what the agency decides to do.
0: And would it be essentially the same Orion vehicle? that flies missions to the moon that then in subsequent years will fly missions to Mars?
1: I hope so, because I think, I, like I said earlier today, you know, one of the things that you asked me earlier, you know, what I tell people, I think the the, the you know, the, the program and our thought process is, is to establish a vehicle that allows us to operate for a long time. And there'll be evolution, there'll be obsolescence, there'll be things like that. Undoubtedly. But, but basic vehicle, I mean, that's what we're—we uh, we, want to make sure we are building a vehicle that allow us to have long-term exploration capability, right? And that, that is the testament of time. And, and my, my uh, desire and, and our—the um, way we operate is to think about that as well. So both not only meeting the missions of today— but also making sure that we're able to meet missions of the future and that vehicle is um, sustainable for that long term. And there, there doesn't need to be that many changes and shouldn't be because I think we've thought through it. And, and we will learn and we will evolve and we will update as necessary. Uh, certainly we won't have it perfect, but, but in general, I think the spacecraft um, today that we've designed will be able to last us and carry us forward in the future. And it sounds like you're pretty ready to go. We are ready to go. We're excited. We're like I said, you know, we're we're near the end of wrapping things up. It's like, a, you know, I, I had my kitchen done recently. You know, you, you can Ooh. see the you can see the very end of it. And you're very excited <laughs> to get back and get your kitchen back. It's, it's the same thing for us. A lot of us who've worked on the program for a long time. You know, it, it is a very exciting time because we know, you know, we're ready. You know, like I said, our testing program is complete for Artemis one. We are very close to wrapping up the spacecraft. And then now the next step is we're looking for our friends over at KSC to put it, put it together, and then we'll be working with them to, to get ready for the launch and, and uh, get into space. It'll be very exciting. I, uh,
0: yeah, it will. Uh, thank you. Thanks very much for, for
1: bringing us up to date. You bet. You bet. Thank you for having me.
0: you are probably aware that the International Space Station has been hosting a brand new spacecraft. SpaceX's Crew Dragon finished its first flight with astronauts on board this summer. Boeing is progressing with its ship to fly to the station, and there are other commercial companies building spaceships, too. Don't forget Orion. This is the vehicle that will carry astronauts beyond low-Earth orbit for the first time since the 1970s, a time you may not even remember. Along with supporting the Artemis program efforts to return to the moon where we can learn to live sustainably off of our home planet, it will play a role in moving us out into the solar system, to Mars, and other destinations. You can keep up with the latest online at nasa.gov. Search for Artemis and Moon to Mars. I'll also remind you that you can go online and keep up with all things NASA at nasa.gov probably be a good idea for you to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, too. You will thank me. When you go to those sites, use the hashtag AskNASA to submit a question or suggest a topic for us. Please indicate that it's for Houston We Have a Podcast. You can find the full catalog of all of our episodes by going to nasa.gov slash podcast and scrolling to our name. In fact, you can find all of the other exciting NASA podcasts right there at the same spot where you'll find us, nasa.gov slash podcasts. Very convenient. This episode was recorded on July 27, 2020. Thanks to Alex Perryman, Gary Jordan, Nora Moran, Belinda Polito, and Jennifer Hernandez for their help with the production, to Laura Roshan and Rachel Kraft for their help in arranging the guest, and to Howard Hugh for sharing the terrific story of how NASA is moving ahead to build humanity's next moonship. We'll be back next week.